Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. Welcome. Yes, it is I, and this is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young onset Parkinson's called Rebound. It's out now. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader? Audiobook type? We've got those versions as well. Support Parkinson's and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else. Primarily, but not exclusively, involving the NBA. And that is here. Before I get into the first topic of today's podcast, first and only topic, probably, I want to throw something out to all my regular listeners. It's an idea someone proposed to me that I find interesting, considering I listen to a daily podcast from the BBC every night to get up to speed on what's going on in the world at large. And that is me doing a daily pod of 10 to 20 minutes on the news of the day in the NBA and my take on it. I don't know if I'd do it seven days a week, but I'd certainly plan to do it at least five, Monday through Friday. If that would appeal more than what I'm doing now, as in a weekly 35 to 45 minute pod, let me know. If there's enough interest... I'm willing to give it a go. Hit me up on one of my social media feeds at R-I-C-B-U-C-H-E-R and we'll see how it goes. Uh, This longer version would go away, but it would be replaced by a shorter daily nugget at least five times a week. All right, topic number one. And this topic is actually inspired by last week's topic, which was essentially setting the record straight about Kevin Durant's contribution during his three-year stint with the Warriors, which, as you know, produced two championships. Between that pod episode and a debate I had on FS1 about whether or not Steph Curry was underappreciated, 
I've been put in the unenviable position of having to give context to what Steph has done and is doing right now. I say the position is unenviable because of my complete admiration for who Steph Curry is and what he has accomplished, both on and off the court. I get why his fans react the way they do to the slightest negative word or criticism. In my 25 plus years covering the NBA, I haven't met a player who is more genuine or admirable both on and off the court. He was the real deal before he became a champion and the best shooter the game has ever seen. And he's the real deal now. And it is not easy blowing up to the level that he has and not being affected by it somehow. And yet, from my first-hand experience, knowing him since he entered the league to now, I can tell you that he has not changed a bit. A conversation I had with Steph a couple years ago about the MVP award should tell you a lot about him. We were shooting the breeze after a game one night in the Warriors locker room. He's generally the last one to cut out of there. And I asked him what he'd choose between three all-NBA first-team selections and regular season MVP. And he said, ooh, that's a tough one. All right, I said, four first-team all-NBA selections. Oh, I'm, I'm taking the four, he said. Now, I asked Kevin Durant, Carmelo Anthony, and a few other star players what their choice would be. They didn't hesitate. They even looked at me like I was crazy for asking. MVP, of course, KD said. So this is what Steph's answer tells you about him, which is, first of all, keep in mind, he didn't come into the league like KD or Carmelo Anthony. He wasn't supposed to be a star, not to this level. Wasn't supposed to be a league MVP. So to be recognized for long-term excellence, and this is how he explained it, you're picked if you're if you're voted to the all nba first team multiple years in a row it's saying you are the best player at your position for a stretch not just one year for multiple years and that to him was more valuable than being seen as well the fact of the matter is most valuable doesn't necessarily mean most outstanding doesn't mean best all around it can have many definitions because the NBA has never defined it clearly. So each voter, it's left to them to decide what MVP means to them. All NBA first team, you're basically saying you're one of the five best players in the league. And for Steph, he'd rather have that for multiple years than one year be perceived or interpreted as the most valuable. I also feel a certain kinship with Steph because we were both born in Ohio and our birthdays are two days apart. And I see a lot of the same Pisces traits in him that I see in myself. But let me be clear. My job is not to hype players or be a houseman, no matter how much I respect, admire, or outright like a player. It's why... I never quite felt completely comfortable 
the two years that I was the sideline reporter for the Warriors. Because you're not really a reporter. You are, and you're not employed by the team, but there's a pretty cozy relationship between the, uh, the network that is broadcasting the games and the team. Your paycheck is from the network, but there's an understanding. You're not going to be delivering hard news. You're not going to be delivering bad news. I remember there was one instance where, and, and keep in mind, when I was doing the sideline, I was also writing for Bleacher Report, and I had a radio show. So I had two other jobs that I was not a house person. And the first time this really became, there's two times this came, became really apparent to me that that made me feel as if I don't know that I can work completely on this side of the aisle. Uh, the first was when we had a team trip to L.A. And there was, uh, I walked into the team hotel and there were a number of reporters from other outlets that were there. And I can't remember, it was Jermaine O'Neal, or it was, I think it was Jermaine O'Neal. It was a player who uh, was having a conversation with someone and said, yeah, I'm not playing tomorrow. And I heard that, and I knew there were other people in the lobby who may have heard that or were about to talk to him. So I tweeted out something about the fact that Jermaine O'Neal didn't think he was going to be playing the next day. And I got some blowback from the Warriors about doing that, that I was on the team plane and I had special access. And I said, well, I didn't get the, I didn't get the access from being on the team plane. I got it because I was in the lobby and so were reporters from other outlets. Basically, I was wearing my Bleacher Report hat and not, or my radio hat, but not my Warrior sideline reporter hat. The other time was when we were in the playoffs and uh, having a pregame or post shoot around scrum for the media. And I was asked to wear a Warriors polo shirt and given a handful of them. And on one hand, it's kind of an honor to be attached to a team. On the other hand, as a reporter, it felt wrong. I was now being, I was not, <laughs> I was not a reporter. I was not the Bleacher Report guy for sure. I was the Warriors guy. And I've never seen myself as that. I've never wanted to be that. Uh, it can be flattering. It doesn't pay all that well, I'll be honest with you. But I just don't have the temperament for it. That's not how I've come up. I feel like I want to tell you the story, the true story, the story as I see it, not as I'm supposed to tell it because of who I work for. It's just how I'm built. So one of many reasons why continuing to do the sideline deal was simply not in the cards for me. So uh, look, my job as I see it is to use my experience covering the game and the league to tell you who the players are, both as individuals and in a historical context. I don't expect you to agree. 
and I'm not here to argue. I'm going to tell you how I see them based on everything I know about both them and the league. And I may base that on what other people in the league, players, coaches, scouts, executives, agents, a few select media members tell me, but that's about it. My firsthand observation, coupled with the insight of those I trust and respect in the game. That shapes what I think and what I say are right. Now, I may very well, quietly, root for a player to be successful or a team because I respect, admire, or like them, or I believe that they have what it takes to be successful and I want to be proved right. My ego's in there somewhere, trust me. But there are two things about that. One, I'll generally acknowledge that I'm rooting for them. And two, I'm not going to claim they've been successful if they haven't been. Or credit them with success at the expense of others who deserve it. Which brings us to Steph and the season that he is having. The way he is scoring and the shots that he is routinely making are about as much fun to watch as anything I've seen in recent memory. Boston Celtics coach Brad Stevens said the other day that when he goes home, he hopes the Warriors are on because he wants to watch Steph. I feel the same way. But this is probably why some fans aren't always happy with my stance on individual performances. Because if a player is putting up historic numbers or statistics and isn't winning, I consider those numbers suspect. Because, after all, winning the game still is the first priority, or at least it should be. There is nothing that drives me crazier than seeing something put out on Twitter. Bleacher Report does this a lot, by the way. Puts out a highlight, highlighting a player about something he did in a particular game. And then I go look at the score, and I'm like, he lost. <laughs> he lost! I Give me a highlight of a play that led to a guy winning. Like, I don't mind the spectacle, and I don't mind appreciating the spectacle, but if you're going to call out and acknowledge a particular player for something he did in a particular game, shouldn't you be looking for the play that won the game? I, maybe, maybe I'm a stickler. Maybe I'm old school. It's just there's something about that when the acknowledgement that it was done, at least acknowledge that it was done in a loss. Okay, how's that? Can we get can we get there? I think that might satisfy me. So-and-so did this, but still lost. Okay, I'm good. That's context. Now, I have no doubt in my mind that Steph's interest, first and foremost, is to win games. I'm not saying that. Not once have I ever had the sense that he's record hunting or more interested in his stat line than the bottom line. But it raises a question in my mind. Why hasn't his crazy efficiency and scoring over the last dozen games resulted in a record better than, as I record this, 7-5? and five? All but the last game, he scored 30-plus points. Sometimes... 40 plus. Now, to be fair, overall, the Warriors are actually, uh, let's see, 29 and 23, I believe, in games that Steph has played. So he clearly has them as an above 500 team. 
But the numbers he's putting up really are mind-boggling. So I keep coming back to that. Why aren't they producing more wins? And I'm sorry, but I can't give you that the rest of the team is just that bad. It's too easy, first of all. They are, standing-wise, right about where I predicted they'd be at the start of the season, fighting for a playing spot. And that wasn't with Steph scoring 30 in 8, 9, 10 games or making 10 plus 3s in 6 games this season. I wasn't expecting him to be doing what he's done over the last couple of weeks, certainly. But if you, if you drill down, uh, some of the other players who started off very slowly, admittedly, are, well, they've picked it up. Andrew Wiggins is shooting career-high percentages overall and from three. But his scoring, 18 a game, is a point below his career average. So he's being more efficient, but it's not necessarily producing more points. Stay with me here. Kelly Oubre, on the other hand, is averaging a career high in rebounds per minute and shooting above his career percentages, but otherwise numbers are slightly down. Draymond Green's numbers per minute are comparable to the ones, this may surprise you, to the ones he put up in the Warriors' last run to the finals, 2018 and 19. I know there's the, the, the impression out there that Draymond has really fallen off Overall this season, not so much. So overall, their performances are not that different than who they've been for the better part of their careers. If we credit Steph for being the catalyst for all of that, we have to ask again, why hasn't that resulted in more wins? Because they should be putting up bigger numbers when... All of them, Draymond included, are doing more with less, no? Oubre and Wiggins averaged more minutes and more shots before they came to Golden State. They have been more efficient as Warriors than at any other time in their careers. It's a standard line of mine, by the way. Stars get numbers for themselves. Superstars get numbers for themselves and everyone else. I can tell you this. The incredible moves that Steph makes to get looks at the basket, those herky-jerky, don't know which direction he's going to go, is he going to pull up, is he going to shoot, is he going to take, what's he going to do? Whether it's around the rim or at the three-point arc. That doesn't just keep the defense off balance. Put yourself in the shoes of Kent Bazemore or Kelly Oubre or Andrew Wiggins and... Steph is in his bag, and he's going to town. Now, if Steph can get a look, you probably want him to take that shot. Nobody's going to begrudge him that, right? But you don't know at what point he can't get that shot, and is the ball coming your way, and where and when is it coming your way? Now, all the attention that he's probably drawn in doing all that is going to give you a greater space time-wise to get your shot off or to do something with it or create more space physically in front of you. All that's true. But not knowing exactly when it's going to come your way still 
steals some of that space and that time. Because I can tell you, having played just pickup with NBA players, the speed at which they play the game, and these I'm guessing these guys were playing at like 60-70% of what they're capable of. They still, I've never had anybody close space the way they do. And this is back when I was younger and in, in, in decent shape. It was a, a extraordinary, extraordinary experience. So even with the space that he creates, if you don't know when it's coming, if you can't anticipate that and you lose some of that time that he gains you, it's going to affect your shot. It just is. Or your ability to get somewhere else on the floor. Uh, it's just hard for a teammate to know if or when the ball might be coming his way and where he should be to receive it when Steph gets into his bag. Again, and I'm not saying, look, Steph isn't doing this selfishly. It's simply what he has to do to get off a shot. He does it remarkably well. But there's the phenomenal scoring and then there's the rest of his game. And when he was at the top of his game, when he was a true MVP candidate, his assist-to-turnover ratio was pretty good. He wasn't... He, defensively, he was pretty good. Now, he obviously had a better, better defensive players around him, but he was a cog in that defense. And he, made, and he contributed his part. I can tell you that firsthand. I watched it. But it hasn't been quite the same. And he wasn't in 2018-19, for sure. His 1.83 assist turnover ratio, as of right now, is the worst of his career. And that's not good. He's not even in the top 100 players in the league in that category. And please don't complain, well, if only his teammates would make more shots. Look, he's on a personal record pace for balls lost off the dribble. And again, I know it's the attention that he receives. But look, part of the reason the ball is lost with any player is when they try to do too much. They don't trust their teammates. At, at least in part. I wouldn't say he doesn't trust them. He just feels like, I got to get to what I can get to. I got to make these shots if we're going to win. I don't blame him. Teams also trap him as much as they do because it works. Now, you can blame some of that on his teammates not making shots. But I already told you their shooting percentages are, in some cases, better than they've ever been. So if they're taking fewer shots than they did before becoming Warriors, but making them at a higher rate, while Steph is taking a career-high number of shots, can we really blame the supporting cast? I mean, it, it strikes me it's just a formula that's not sustainable for success. And also, to be clear, the entire league is shooting better than it ever has before, both overall and from three. Points are being scored at a higher rate across the league than at any time in the last 30 years. A dozen players averaged 25 points or better just last season. That's jumped to 17 this year. And five more players doesn't sound like all that much. That's a lot in one year from one to the next. 
individual 40-point games are being posted at an all-time record rate. It's not just Steph. That's what I'm saying. The entire league is scoring more with a greater efficiency than ever before. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Now what makes Steph special is that he's 6'3", 185 pounds, and people may forget this by watching him, but he's 33 years old. When he lost his duel against Jason Tatum and the Boston Celtics, he did so despite scoring 47 points on 15 of 27 shooting. Tatum only had 44, but he shot an even higher percentage, 16 of 25. Now, Jason Tatum is also 6'8", six, six, 210 pounds. He only needed five threes to score his 40-piece. Steph needed 11, some of them from 30 feet with a split second to get them off. So here's the question. Do we grade Steph on a curve because he faces a greater degree of difficulty in making his shots? because he takes them from farther out, because he has to work so incredibly hard to get the airspace to get a shot off if he's closer to the three-point line, and it's simply harder to double-team him 40 feet from the basket? Do we give him extra credit? Or, more specifically, do we penalize Tatum? Because at 6'8", he doesn't have to take as many threes, nor take them from the same distance because in most cases, he's not getting his shot blocked at the three-point arc. I feel as if I'm repeating myself at this point, but I, I, I want to underscore it. I love watching Steph play. I respect the hell out of who he, ha- who he is. Again, both on and off the court. I love the way he does things off the court. He's involved in all sorts of charitable concerns his support of girls and women. He's done it all, and he hasn't done it in a look-at-me way. He's done it simply in, I care about this, and I want to make a difference. Back to the court. That he has the guts to take some of the shots that he takes might be enough, but that he makes damn near half of them feels like a magic trick, as if he's got red pandas magnets. Oh, I let something out of the bag there? You didn't know? Uh... As if he has magnets somewhere underneath the basket pulling the ball through the hoop, no matter how far away or from what angle he launches it. Even his shots around the rim are pretty spectacular. Again, 6'3", 185. That's that's small in the NBA these days. There's a few guys that are smaller. Generally, they're they're stronger, chunkier, uh, or they might have quicker jets. His change of pace is, change of direction is what's special. Change of direction with the ball under control. That's his unique gift. Uh, He also has a certain hallmark that is incredibly special. 
He has been known to have off nights, as he did going 2 for 14 against the Wizards. But when he has a bad night, he starts off bad. He isn't good for three quarters and then flames out in the fourth, as we've seen a few others, LeBron included, do. If Steph starts cold, there's still a chance he could heat up and go bananas down the stretch. And if he starts hot, you're in trouble, because he generally doesn't cool off. Not every great scorer is like that. It's as if his confidence is his superpower, which makes sense. Do me a favor. Go to your local gym or outdoor court and walk off 35 feet from the hoop. And then imagine launching a shot from there with someone most likely bigger, arms outstretched in front of you and expecting to make it. Not hoping, not praying, expecting. That's Steph. You've seen him launch 40 footers and they don't go down. He's walking to the bench, shaking his head, thinking, even if he gets fouled, like I still should have made that. That's, that's not, he's not play acting. That's the way he generally believes in himself. But if you're asking me to credit him with being sensational and the rest of the Warriors are just dragging him down, well, that's where I get off the train. I've just seen that movie or that excuse way too many times. I saw it with LeBron in Cleveland and with Allen Iverson in Philadelphia. And I didn't accept it then and I don't accept it now. Teams don't get to the finals as both of their teams did off the excellence of one player. If you don't understand how the Cavaliers or the 76ers got to the finals and assume that it's just because you saw the numbers in the box score that LeBron and AI were putting up, then I this may sound harsh. You don't understand basketball. You don't understand the team element to the game. Teams don't play above 500 off of one great player, which again is why Steph is doing miraculous, miraculous things. Eh, the cast of characters around him are making their contributions, quietly making contributions, particularly at the defensive end. One great player is not beating an opposing team with a handful of pretty good players. Not on a consistent basis. It's not happening. That one player may be a virtuoso offensively, which is what most people pay attention to, especially putting the ball in the bucket. But guaranteed he has a load of guys who are taking up the slack and then some at the defensive end. There's also a matter of AI and LeBron, certainly at that time of their careers, not being able to be all they could be with another ball-dominant player next to them. They had to have the ball. And that's what sets Steph apart as well. He can be effective no matter who he plays with or who has the ball. Draymond as the point forward, leading the team in assists, or KD taking the most shots, or getting out of the way when Clay gets on one of his hot streaks. It's how he leapfrogged Russ Westbrook in my mind. Russ's ability to play with another star has not evolved. He may have been at his best playing with KD in Oklahoma City. He either has to run the show or he has to sit back. Now, sometimes... He'll do it in the same game, but he's clearly picking and choosing. He doesn't have 
He just has not developed the ability to integrate his excellence with someone else's excellence while Steph has, clearly. And if you're a true superstar, you do what is necessary to make your teammates better. So, again, with Steph, do we ignore that while this is not the best offensive rating of his career, and it's not, but it is his worst defensive rating, not counting last year's five-game stint, can we say that he's making his teammates better when this is not his best as an offensive player overall? His defensive rating and his assist-to-turnover ratio are at their worst. Because those are the elements that would reflect what he's doing for everybody else outside of just simply drawing attention. And again, this is where it gets tricky because where is he drawing that attention? If you have a player like LeBron who can draw attention below the free throw line and then kick it out for a three, first of all, he's stationary for the most part or he's working on one side of the floor. So everybody playing around him knows exactly where they need to be in relation to where he is. And when he draws that, it's pretty simple. They get the ball. They're either firing the three if they got it, swinging it if somebody has a, a, a more open three, or they're driving the ball to the basket. And that's the third option, really, because that means now they have to make a play. In most cases, game's pretty simple for them. And again, generally don't have to move. Just space out around the three-point line, let the double team be drawn, and then it's getting kicked out. And Steph can't operate that way. So he's operating out at the three-point line. This is why the whole idea of Giannis Antetokounmpo needing to shoot the three in order to become that the missing element that the Bucks need to win a championship has always hit me wrong. He doesn't need that. He needs to be a playmaker below the free-throw line in the same way LeBron has made himself into one. Made himself into one in Miami, by the way. They taught him how. They convinced him that he had to do that. You'd never ask Steph to do that. He's not built to be able to do that. He's doing everything he can to help the Warriors win. I truly believe that. And what he does better than anyone is shoot threes. But how does shooting all those threes make the game easier for his teammates? How does launching from 40 feet as soon as he's crossed half court create an open shot for somebody else? How does it help them on D? How does it tire out the man guarding them? How does it involve them and allow them to make an impact? Now, Steph doesn't take all that many shots from that distance. It's more spectacle than anything else. It's just that's the thing that people seem to be obsessed with. That's the thing that people say he's changing the game because he's shooting from 40 feet. I'd say he's changing the game more because he's averaging 12 threes a game. And I wouldn't even say that he changed the game. He's part of the continuum. He's expanded on something that Mike D'Antoni and the Phoenix Suns in their seven seconds or less offense created. And that the Warriors in going small ball and having an array of three-point shooters, Steph included, leading the way, that, that that's, they, they expanded on what the Suns did. And now Steph 
in his solo effort is just going even further. But I'll tell you this, teams are not going to adopt what the Warriors are doing this year the way Steph is doing it if it doesn't amount to anything in the postseason, if it's just a 500 record and it's a play-in game or maybe even a first-round appearance. The reason people have mimicked what the Warriors have done is because it won championships. And they have. They have mimicked them. It's why Draymond Green doesn't have the same effect that he once had. Because people have found people who can defend that type of player, who can be that kind of player, who can counter that. That all came as a surprise to the league for at least a year or two. The tweener forward, the passing point forward with Draymond's unique skills, particularly at the defensive end. Uh, And look, sure, teams, as I said, are trapping Steph and that creates space and it extends the defense and I'm sure creates driving opportunities for Oubre, Draymond, and Wiggins. I wouldn't dare say it has no effect, but they still have to finish at the rim. They still generally, somebody's going to rotate over and they have to beat them. It's not always a wide open three. And the other tricky part is if Steph swings it to you in the back of your head, especially when he's on one, you're thinking, should I take this or should I look away for a way to get it back to him? And there's no fault in that, but... You can't blame them, especially with some of the response from fans and the media when they do take those shots and they don't shoot and they don't make them at the same clip. I think they've gotten over that based on what I've seen of late. They're just taking them. Still, 7-5 and in their last 12 games, all but the last of which Steph scored 30 or more. And when he only scored 18 against the Wizards, he had eight assists, and six turnovers. His plus minus was minus 23, which gives you an indication not only of what was happening defensively against the Wizards, but how his monstrous scoring has been covering for the other end of the floor. Because over that 12-game stretch, his plus minus was better than the margin of winning or losing only about half the time. The Warriors basically what I'm saying, we're in a deficit as a result of the time that Steph spent on the floor. Whether they won or lost the game, they were in a deficit. He wasn't a plus overall. Now, when Steph and I had our conversation about all NBA selections versus MVP, another reason he gave for favoring the all-NBA is because he knew there were a lot of influences on who got picked MVP that didn't have to do with who was the most valuable player that season. So winning or not winning that award, even though he's won it twice, wasn't all that important to him. What he said to me was, you just want to be in the conversation. Well, in spite of everything that I've said here, I'm happy to put him in the conversation as of right now based on what he's done over the last two weeks. With James Harden and LeBron James and to a lesser extent Joel Embiid all losing ground due to injury, an opening has been created 
I have no problem putting Steph in that opening or providing that for him. Can't think of too many other guys that I would look to. Although, I will say, Kawhi Leonard certainly deserves attention, although he's on the shelf again. But prior to that, he was he was quietly moving up the ranks. And Giannis Antetokounmpo, people, you know, I'm sure do not want to vote him MVP three years in a row. But the Giannis that I'm seeing now is a better version of Giannis, a more winning version of Giannis. I don't care what the record says. A more winning version of Giannis than I've seen the previous two years. Any case, I can't give Steph more than he's in the conversation. And I'm pretty confident he wouldn't want or ask for more than that either. All I can ask of everybody else is that you don't ask for it either. All right. That does it for this episode of On the Ball with me, Rick Buecher. <clears throat> yeah, it's just about time because my voice seems to be starting to go. Uh, please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It's important to the show. It's important to me. If you've listened to the show You've heard me say that before. Also, don't forget to let me know. If you want a shorter but daily pod, I will effort to make that happen. But I need to know that you'd rather have that than this once-a-week get-together that we have. Uh, in my next podcast, I may explore and explain why I believe that Giannis is better this year than he's ever been. And who knows, maybe we'll even get outraged over the fact that He's very unlikely to win in spite of that. Or something else will come up and we will hit that. Or we'll start doing a daily pod on whatever needs to be said. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.